it is a blessing to have each of you just to be able to celebrate all that God is doing. And actually, it's good to see some folks that I think it's the first time some of y'all have been back since all this COVID stuff happened. So if you didn't know it, I get really excited when I see people. So I'm really excited to be here today, excited to have some of you guys, actually all of you guys here, not just some of you. I'm glad to have all of you here. So I do want to mention before I get into my uh, sermon uh don't forget that we're not necessarily doing everything the exact same way that we were doing it before COVID. For example, uh, we still take up an offering. Some of y'all are thinking, I've been gone for six months and they don't even take up the offering anymore. Actually, we still take up the offering, but as you leave today, there'll be individuals that will be at each of the doors so that you'll still be able to give. It's just a, a way where not everybody's touching the same surfaces. And I don't know when we'll go back to the way things used to be. I actually kind of miss being able to do everything the way we used to do it, at least a lot of the things that we used to do. But that being said, right now, that's what we're doing. So you'll still have the opportunity to give, but it will take place after the service is over. So this past Wednesday, we celebrated Veterans Day. We talked about it a little bit last Sunday. Uh, as we mentioned last Sunday, it is the sacrifice of men and women who have willingly served that grants us many of the freedoms that we participate in today. So even though we did it last week, let me just say again, thank you. Thank you for your willingness to serve. Thank you for your willingness to sacrifice. It is truly appreciated. Sometimes I do think we probably take it for granted. Uh, we should not. So thank you very, very much. In my sermon last week, I also talked about the need to be prepared when the battle comes to you. You wouldn't expect an untrained military unit to be sent out into battle without first undergoing extensive training and planning. You wouldn't expect that a military unit would go in unprepared. And likewise, the time has come for God's people to prepare for battle. Now, perhaps you wonder what kind of battle we need to be preparing for. Let me answer that with some scripture for you today. Let me start with 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, which says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. And then Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then in our key passage for the series, which I had Jonathan read from earlier, it says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So the point of all of these verses is to show us that this war is not exactly the same as what soldiers might face on an earthly battlefield. In fact, it's interesting that if you were to ask any of the soldiers, any of the veterans who stood up last week as a part of our Veterans Day celebration, how many of them served on the battlefield, they would know the answer. If a soldier fought in Iraq or Afghanistan or Korea or Vietnam or any other battlefield, they would know and they would be able to tell you. 
There are some who serve during times of war. There are some who serve during times of peace. Yet if I were to ask many Christians, how many of you have been on the spiritual battlefield? Many of us would be surprised to find out that we are on it right now. Currently, there is a battle that is being waged for our hearts and for our minds. There are spiritual forces of evil that long to destroy us, to destroy our character, to destroy our influence and our testimony. And though the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, we can take heart that there are also spiritual forces that are fighting on our side. God himself is fighting for you. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 7, we read this. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. So we must understand the battle. You know, as I prepared for today, I tried to find the best way for us to illustrate each of these points that I want to show to you today. And suddenly it hit me that I've talked about the battlefront for the past three plus weeks, yet I've neglected many of the great Old Testament, Old Testament battle stories. So what I'd like to do today is for each one of my three points, the first one being understand the battlefield, for each one of the three points today, I want to use a battle from Scripture to be able to illustrate that for you. The first comes from a familiar passage about Gideon. It's found in Judges chapters 7 and 8, and you can turn there if you would like. I'm going to summarize a large portion of this simply because I think some of us are probably a little bit more familiar with this one. This is a, a passage that as a kid in vacation Bible school, many churches would use. In children's church, they would use it perhaps because of the the fact that it's such an exciting passage. I think kids really connect well with it. Well, maybe the adults do too. So we're going to look in Judges 7 and 8. There were Midianite raiders who had been terrorizing the Israelites. This is what leads up to Judges 7 and 8. They would kill, they would abduct, they would destroy and steal the Israelite crops. And there came a time that God would raise up a leader to deliver them from oppression. The people cried out to the Lord, and he said, I will send one. And the one he chooses is a man named Gideon. As Gideon, their new leader, rose up, people started coming out of the woodwork. People wanted so much to have help. They wanted to be able to do something about the oppression that they were experiencing. Some of them were desperate. They're saying, we got to do something. We can't stay where we're at. We're going to be in trouble. Some of them were angry. And they were determined they're going to do whatever it takes to be able to experience battle. Some of them rose up out of duty, realizing that they were fighting for their families. But in total, there would be 32,000 troops that would rise up to stand alongside Gideon in battle. It sounds like a pretty good-sized army. I don't know if I had 32,000 troops standing behind me. I might feel pretty good about myself. Sure, they weren't all trained soldiers, but that's a pretty good place to start. Well, actually it's not. 
You see, the Midianite armies totaled more than 135,000 soldiers, as revealed later in Judges chapter 8, verse 10. So what, what would God do to overcome this discrepancy? Remember, you got 32,000 troops, you got 135,000 troops. There's a big discrepancy between the two. He would begin to weed them out. Oh, not, not the Midianites. They had 135,000 troops. God didn't need to weed out those troops, but rather he would weed out the Israelite troops. Listen to what God says to Gideon in Judges 7, verses 2 and 3. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. All right, so my first thought is if I'm in Gideon's shoes, I'm looking, I realize, okay, we got 32,000 men, that's pretty good. And then you look out and you see 135,000 for the enemy. My thought is, God, what are you going to do to fix this? Instead, God says, you got too many troops. Send some of them home. And, and he does it in, a, it seems like, a very logical way. He says, if you got anybody who's afraid, anybody who perhaps they're nervous and really don't want to be out here, they're just out here out of duty. They're just out here because it's what they ought to be doing. Send them home. Imagine you being one of the 10,000 troops that remained afterwards. You feel confident that we can win this battle. You're willing to fight no matter what. And then you see a little more than two-thirds of your troops returning to their homes. You might not feel too good about whatever's about to come next. And then the Lord says to Gideon. All right, so Gideon's kind of resigned himself. Okay, we got 10,000 troops. All right, Lord, we can do this. Let's go. God says, there are still too many of you. By the end of the day, 32,000 troops would be trimmed down to only 300 soldiers. But the number of soldiers was completely irrelevant to the battle. You see, the Lord explains this in the verse that I read earlier. In verse 2, he said, you have too many men. Not because they'd get in each other's way. 32,000 troops could probably work very well side by side. Not because of the fact that these 300 men were perhaps stronger than the other 31,700. He says, you have too many men. See, I can't deliver Midian into their hands or Israel will boast against me. My own strength has saved me. What Gideon and the Israelites needed to understand about this battle was that it wasn't about them. It was about God and his ability to fight on their behalf. You see, here's the thing. 32,000 troops without the blessing of God are likely to be defeated. Reverse the numbers. Imagine the Israelites had 135,000 troops and the Midianites, the enemy, had 32,000. Without the blessing of God, it doesn't matter how many troops you have. Gideon could have went into battle with three people and won. 
as long as he had the blessing of God behind him. We need to understand the battle. In Judges 8.10, we are told that 120,000 enemy soldiers are killed and 15,000 remain, yet they are on the run. 300 soldiers. This is not about how good a warrior these individuals are. This is about the God who they serve, the God who is blessing and providing. Imagine these 15,000 soldiers that remained, how defeated they felt, thinking that they probably had about 300,000 soldiers pursuing them. Imagine if they would have only realized that there were only 300 soldiers back there. They were running not from the 300 soldiers. They were running from the power of God. Likewise, you need to understand something about the spiritual battle which you face today. This is not your battle. This is God's battle. Yes, you will participate in the battle. These 300 soldiers did participate in the battle. They had certain expectations, requirements, things that they would do. They put together a great plan. I say they, Gideon, gives them a great plan. It is assumed that God's the one who instructed him on this is what you must do. They divide their units up into three units of 100 soldiers, and they approach One on one side, one on the other, and one on the front face. So there's nobody on the back face. But what happens is at the very same time, each of the soldiers do what Gideon does, which he raises his sword. He takes his, actually he doesn't raise the sword yet. He takes his trumpet and he blows it and he takes a glass jar and he breaks it. And then all of them yell at the same time, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And suddenly, the people turn on themselves. That's why when the 300 soldiers that were a part of Gideon's army actually end up going to fight, the majority of them have already been killed. You see, this was God's battle to win. And the same thing is true for you. We need to understand the battle. But as we understand the battle, we also need to make sure that we use the right tools for battle. Knowing that God is fighting on our behalf certainly should give us great confidence as we face this war, but we also need to use the right tools. In the story of Gideon, as I just mentioned, their only tools were a sword, a trumpet, and a jar. Those don't sound like great pieces of armor. The best way to understand this is to be able to recognize God has given us tools as well. What are the tools that God has given you? We'll go back to the scriptures. In verse 17 of our original passage today in Ephesians 6, we read that we must take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We talked about the helmet of salvation last Sunday, but we did not even mention the sword. That's because the sword is the only offensive weapon that is mentioned in this passage. We've talked about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace and the helmet of salvation. We talked about all these things. Well, they're all defensive. Every one of those is about making sure that we are protected. According to famed Alabama head football coach Bear Bryant, defense wins championships. 
So it should make sense that we would see such emphasis on defense, but the truth is that offense matters too. If the only weapons you use are offensive, you'll be dead before you have the chance to use your weapons. But if the only thing you have is defensive, you will never be able to advance upon the enemy. So listen to this. You need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But you also need a great defense. You can't can't have one or the other. You have to have them both. Listen to the words of Psalm 91, verse 1 through 4. It says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You see, we need that shield. We need that defense, but we need a great defense and a great offense. I want to come back to our offensive weapon for a moment. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let me just say that one of the greatest tragedies in the church today is the fact that the Word of God is no longer cherished by God's people. It is often something that we hear on Sunday in church, or sometimes maybe it's not even that. Or maybe it is something we remember from our childhood I mentioned Vacation Bible School earlier, or Children's Church. Many of the stories that you hear me talk about often, the moment you hear it, your mind goes back to a Sunday school teacher or a Vacation Bible School where you heard that before. And we can remember it, but it's something of the past rather than something of the present. Or it's something that we pull out when we want to win an argument. There are certain scriptures that we can pull out and we think, well, you know, if they only knew this verse, then they would know. I confess there have been times I've done it. Philippians 2.14 is a verse that I'm very familiar with. At times when I'm not going to tell you who I've been dealing with, but at times I have used it to my advantage. And I didn't want to hear it. I just stopped and I said, you know, Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without arguing or complaining. And of course, it wasn't because I wanted to look at that in the context. I was trying to use that scripture verse to prove a point. I don't want to hear it. So often we have used the scriptures to accomplish our purposes rather than allowing God to accomplish his purposes through his word. The word of God is intended to be so much more. King David got this. In the Psalms, he says, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's not about calling somebody else out. It's not about addressing their issues. Thy word, your word, have I hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against you. And in Psalm 119, verses 27 to 29, we read, Cause me to understand the way of your precepts, that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me 
according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me and teach me your law. Every bit of that is about the word. It is about making the word real to strengthen me, to keep me pure. Teach me the law so that it will become a part of me. Not just something I can quote to others, but something that changes who I am. And in John 15, 3, we read Jesus' words that you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. The point is that the word of God is powerful and it is effective and is able to cleanse, to protect, and to strengthen. It is referred to as the sword of the Spirit suggesting that the Holy Spirit is at work through the Scriptures, equipping you for victory in every battle. We talk about the Spirit coming to dwell in us as we become children of God. What happens is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, becomes the Spirit's tool to help us as we move forward. So why are you not faithfully in the Word? Listen to this. You are cheating yourself if you neglect the only offensive weapon that God has made available to you. You are setting yourself up for failure. Man, it's great that you put that belt of truth on. It's great that you put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's great that you have the shield. It's great that you have the helmet. It's great that your feet are ready to go. But if you are neglecting the word of God, you are setting yourself up for failure. What will happen is you will be forced to hunker down and to just sit and wait and hope that you can bear the attack that is constantly coming at you. But God has called us to do more than just sit there and take it. He wants us to stand up and fight for him. So I want to challenge you today to get into God's word. Get to know God's word. Make it a priority in your life. You know, every day I plan to go exercise, sort of. It is on my agenda anyways. But what happens so often is other things tend to crowd out my schedule. And then something has to give. Far too often the result is that exercise just doesn't happen. By the way, I'm being very intentional not to make eye contact with anybody as we talk about exercise. Of course, there is a way around this issue with exercise. What if I made exercise a priority? What if I I decided that this would be the first thing that I would do every single day? What if I got up early every morning to walk or to run or to lift weights or to do whatever else it would be? If I committed to do that, exercise would not be a problem for me because I had already addressed that this would be done every day at the same time it was scheduled. I made it a priority. Well, the same is true with getting into the Word of God. If you struggle to find time for the word in your life, then it is time for you to rework your schedule. 
commit to getting up tomorrow morning to read God's word, not to check Facebook, not to look and see what's happening on Fox News, just to read God's word. Start in the Gospel of John or in the book of Joshua or start by looking more intently at these battles that we're already talking about here. Start in the Gospel of John. That's a great place to start because you'll recognize a lot of the stories already. Start in Joshua because that's one that you hear me talk about all the time and you'll think, I know that story. I know what happens here. It doesn't matter. Get into God's Word. We talk about these battle stories here. The one I was going to use for this point, but I'm going to have to skip over it because of time, was going to come from Joshua chapter 8. Maybe you go back and you read Joshua chapter 8, read chapter 7 too, because it kind of sets the stage for what's happening in chapter 8. I've already been in Judges chapter 7. Go back and read the story of Gideon and how God used him to deliver the people of Israel. The point is that the word must become an integral part of your daily life. It is the right tool for battle. You cannot win the battle unless you're prepared to fight offensively as well. Well, let me look at one more thing with you this morning. It is the uncompromising victory that ought to happen in battle. In other words, there's no settling for a halfway victory when it comes to God. Consider the words of 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 15. It says, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Or consider the words of Deuteronomy 3, 22, a great promise for all of us. It says, do not fear them, for the Lord your God is the one fighting for you. Sure, the battle seems too big for us sometimes. I'm going to go back where I started today. This is not your fight. This is God's. Maybe the battle seems too big for you, but it is never too big for him. I know I'm short on time, but I really want to share the biblical reference to help you see this. This one comes from 2 Samuel chapter 23. It tells of a group of men simply referred to as David's mighty men. There are a total of 37 of these mighty men, but it seems as if there is nothing that these individuals cannot do. Remember earlier with Gideon, I said it didn't matter if he had 300 men or if he had three men. You had one of these 37 here who killed 800 men in a single battle. Yet another who fought so long and so hard that we're told that His sword stuck to his hand after the battle was over. You know how you're doing something and uh, maybe you've been out working in the yard and you've been working so hard that your hand just kind of seizes up around whatever it is that you were holding and then you go to let go and your hand can't even release because you've been squeezing it so hard and for so long. And at the end of this battle, the rest of the Israelites come back and The only thing left for them to do is to pick up the plunder. There was yet another who single-handedly fought over a field of lentils. Man, it must have been some good lentils. Defeating the entire enemy. But the most unique story associated with David's mighty men 
is found in 2 Samuel 23, verses 13 to 17. Listen to it for a moment. Then three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. He said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. All right, so let me just take a moment and explain what has just happened here. Let me just say that if I were one of these three men, I'd be saying, You better not pour out that water. We just risked our lives so that you could get it. You better drink all of it. Of course, I say that humorously, but the point is this wasn't easy. I just kind of picture David sitting around, and you know how there's something you just haven't had in a long time, and you think, man, it sure would be great if I could get that now. You know, as we've gone through this COVID virus and everybody was quarantined, and there are things that you missed, things that... Sometimes some of these restaurants have closed. Some of these businesses where we used to go and get things and we think, man, I would love a piece of that pie. I would love to get some wings. There it is again. I wanted to make sure I gave a wing reference again this week. I would love to get that thing that seems unavailable to me today. He probably wasn't even thinking that these soldiers would say, well, all right, let's go get it. So David says it, and he just kind of puts it out of his mind, and these three soldiers are sitting over here talking. One of them says, I bet we could go get that water. Oh, there are Philistine troops everywhere. There's no way we're getting through there. I bet we could get that water. And the three of them decide together, we're going to go, and we're going to get it. They put their own lives on the line so that David could have the water that he longed for. Wonder. Did they ever say, David, we got some water over here? <laughs> it's 30 feet away. We don't have to worry about the Philistine troops. Isn't that good enough? David says, well, you know, that water in Bethlehem is just so refreshing. And it's so cold. Oh, man, it's good. These mighty men go and they fight because what they were doing was they were expressing how much they loved the one that they were serving. They were so devoted that they would do whatever he wanted them to do. Likewise, we need to be so devoted to our God that nothing else will do. Those three men could have went and got some water from someplace else and maybe even lied to David. David, can you taste that water from Bethlehem? But they were so devoted that they could not compromise. They could not settle for less than what their leader asked. What has God called you to do? What is the thing that God says, I expect of you? Yet somehow we have excused 
we have accepted less than what he expects. I challenged you earlier to get into God's word. I want you to know that God has given his word to you as a blessing. But just as it is a blessing, it also reveals his heart and who he is. I suggest to you today that a part of what God is calling you to do is to make him a priority. If you have not been in God's word, it is time for you to get back into God's word. If you want to know what it is to walk in victory, you need to have offensive weapons. I know this is the last sermon in this series, but I want you to catch that all of these things work together. You can't have one and leave out the other because if you do, you're setting yourself up for failure. We start at the beginning with prayer. Without us spending consistent time in prayer, we are doomed. Without us having the defensive weapons that we looked at last week, without those defensive weapons, I don't care how good your offense is, you are doomed. And without the word of God as your offensive weapon, you cannot win this battle. It is time for us to not settle for less, but to truly truly make good use of what God's given us. Let's win the victory. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, we thank you today for the gift of your word. We thank you that you were not content leaving us defenseless, that you have given us the tools so that when the attacks come, when the flaming arrows are shot toward us, when the enemy is approaching, We have defensive tools, but we thank you that you also gave us offensive weapons. I pray that you would help us to become comfortable using the offensive weapon. May we become so familiar with the word of God that it becomes a part of who we are. Lord, I pray for each one who is here today that if they have not been committed to the word of God, I pray that right now you would impress upon our hearts that we cannot go another day without spending time in your word. Lord, I pray that you would give us a hunger, help us to be devoted to it so that we would know not only what you've done in the past, let it reveal to us the history, but also let it reveal to us what we need to survive in the present and in the future. Lord, I pray that the word of God would become real to each of us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, let me just caution you real quick as I wrap up here. Um, You don't have to read an entire book of scripture each morning, but I do challenge you to spend time in God's word because I do believe wholeheartedly that it is powerful, it is effective, and it can change everything about you. Make it a priority in your life. Thank you for being with us this morning. Next week, we're going to actually be focusing on Thanksgiving because, believe it or not, it is approaching very, very quickly. We are less than two weeks away from Thanksgiving. So come back ready to celebrate Thanksgiving with us next Sunday. Go in peace.